And we are now looking at the history of Isaac, uh, his son, his generation. Um, And you're going to see some things that I believe are uh, key to us in our society today. Um, And uh, we'll, we'll see how this plays out. But let's begin asking the Lord to open our ears and to touch our hearts. Father, we come before your throne. You, Lord, uh, who have given us your holy book. Uh, You, Lord, who um, have um, drawn us, even to this very day, drawn us together that we may draw upon the, the depths of the holy word of God. Father, as we look at this book of beginnings, Father, may we understand, may we see the hand of an awesome God even early in creation, setting the table for us that we feast off this day, knowing that you are faithful with the little things and the big things. And that, Father, your ways are not our ways. Um, Your plans are not our plans. And yet, Father, I praise you that um, by your mercy and by your grace, uh, you've given us your word, historical, powerful and father we can rest in this divine book to your glory and praise father teach us this night that we may understand that we may draw to you and you alone amen last week when we were together we concluded with a servant of abraham um, who went and got uh, his son a wife Rebecca, and his name is not mentioned. Uh, so I thought it was fascinating to find something kind of that important, but it doesn't give us his name. It just seems odd to me. Um, and so I kind of did some digging around, and I'm just going to tell you what really smart people say. Okay, um, I can't prove it. All right, I can tell you what the text says, but we'll back up for just a second to the 15th chapter of Genesis. Verses 1 and 2. And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, What will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Okay, Eleazar was a servant in the house of uh, Abram. Uh, This is um, early in Abram's uh, life. Um, And if you go back to chapter 25, where am I going to go? you see here that this servant, possibly this servant, verse tw- chapter 24, this servant, his servant, oldest of his household. Okay, Eleazar would have been oldest of his ha- household. Actually, uh, by the time of Isaac's um, wife search, um, he would have been about 85 years old. Um, so it is very possible that a servant who, and if you read this text and understand the oldest of his household who had charge over uh, charge of all that he owned. So he had risen to a tremendous place 
whoever this servant was, a tremendous place of responsibility. And it's very likely it was Eleazar because Eleazar would have came out of Damascus, uh, would have been early into the household of Abraham to assist. So it is very possible. Uh, a lot of really smart guys who spend way more time in the Old Testament than I do concluded this uh, across different boards. Linsky thought so. MacArthur thought so. Uh, Spurgeon thought so. Um, so, you know, uh, when we get to heaven, instead of who shot uh, Kennedy, uh, I will say, was it Eleazar? Was the dude that went down and got it? So, I don't know. <laughs> Truthfully, I, I don't struggle over it that much. All I do know is that it's fascinating to me that someone with that crucial of a role took a vow unto Abraham before God on the circumcision of Abraham and said, go get my wife or go get my son a wife. So it's fascinating. All right, now I want to look at some stuff here. We move into 19 and I want you to think about something. I was thinking about this the other, I was thinking of just a few minutes ago when I was leaving the house. Uh, my youngest son was there guarding some turkeys. Um, I, that's a whole different story. But anyway, um, and, and I, you can look at my son very quickly and say, uh, if there was a crowd of us, uh, you could pretty quickly say, those two are related. Okay. Um, then if you watch him uh, and some of the, his characteristics, his mannerisms uh, and stuff like that, uh, you would say, absolutely, they are related. Okay. Uh, now that comes out of a gene pool problem. Um, I can't do anything about it. Um, but what you will find is, is that in homes, there will be a leaning toward the father. And I don't, I am not here to put down women. That is not what I'm saying, but you will see a lot of the characteristics, a lot of the traits, um, the physical traits, and they may have the blend of the two. But if you watch the habits, the attitudes, and the actions, you're going to see a lot of them lean to the Father. Here's the reason. In the biblical model of the family, the early years, okay, um, where sort of the foundation stones are laid, it is the woman's responsibility. And at a certain point in time, whether it's a daughter or a son, um, they will begin following the father's. Um, you will hear statements, you have a work ethic like your father. And I've heard that said of the daughters and of sons. And, and you will see that, and that's a biblical premise. Please understand that. Um, I'm not here to say that women aren't important, that, or, you know, they don't play a role. One of the things you see in America today is the destruction of the role of the father. Okay, that we can all do this. Listen, don't... God, this is so scary. Can a woman raise a child? Sure. Okay. She shouldn't want to. Not by herself. And it is against nature to have that happen. Okay, now here's a fascinating thing that happens going here now that we start looking at... Um, Isaac's children and Isaac's life, you will see a mirror of dad. Of dad. Okay? Uh, I remember going to a funeral. Uh, it's been years and years and years and years ago. Uh, and uh, my dad had, had died. 
uh, and it was his side of the family. I don't even remember whose funeral it was. But I went down into the hills of Kentucky. Um, anyway, it's a long story. But anyway, I went down there, and I could walk. When I walked in, everybody knew who I was. Okay? And i got to be honest with you. Some of these people, I ain't, I've never met in my life. I don't even know if I could say I'd seen a picture of these people. Okay, but I could walk when I walked in, you know, whether it was in the church or the funeral home or wherever I was. The first words that people would say is, you're Jim Ball's son. Now, my dad had moved out of Kentucky in the the coal mining area of Kentucky years and years and years and years. Uh, As quick as he was 18, he joined the Marine Corps. When he got out of the Marine Corps, he went into the reserves and in the reserves, he went to work. Um, did some stuff for the government, and then he did went to work for NCR. And that was all up either Washington, D.C., Quantico, Virginia, or Ohio. And that's, that's where he lived. Uh, and, you know, I mean, yeah, he would go back for occasional family reunions or, or weekend vacations or stuff like that. But for the most part, he left. And yet I could walk in there, and I remember asking this older woman, how do you know that? She said, your head is shaped just like your dad's. And I said, well, there you go. Um, and it was weird because I had a ponytail then. And so it, to see my head, you were going to have to kind of work at it. Um, and she said, the way you walk looks just like your dad. And, and I mean, you know, you could see characteristics of the lineages that were there in this room full of people. You could see that you know, people were all kind of related and you could see who married in and who, who shouldn't have. Married in and, and some stuff like that. But you saw it, all right? And, and I find that fascinating because when I look at Joshua or look at my daughter, I can look at it and, and you know what? It's even bizarre um, because I have a stepson. My oldest son is uh, um, Paige's son. And he don't look nothing like me, okay? Dad, burn if he doesn't act like me. And it drives me nuts sometimes. I mean, you, you know, quit it. <laughs> That's embarrassing because I know where that had to have come from. Okay? Um, you know, and I came into his life when he was three. Uh, he's 24. Yeah, he's 24. So the bulk of his life has been me as the father figure. Uh, and so you see his mannerisms, his likes, his dislikes uh, are very much like mine. And yet um, I knew his father, and he looks just like his dad other than his dad was bald at about 12. Um, you know, he had that at birth and lost all the hair and just never got any back. But, um, but other than that, and then his hairline will be there shortly. But um, I, I see that, and then when I go through this, I see the same thing. Here's how important it is. Look right there in verse 19. These are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became a father of Isaac. Okay, verse 20. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethel, uh, the Armenian of Padarama, uh, basically, um, I'll deal with that in a minute. It's, it's called the plain of Aram. Uh, it's Upper Mesopotamia, be the northeastern part of Canaan. Um, uh, the sister of Laban, uh, the Armenian, uh, to his wife. Okay, so at 40, he gets his wife. Okay, try it. Uh, never mind. That's, that's something we don't want to 
deal with. Okay, do you see what happened? All right, that's when, remember, and the camel came and she veiled herself and she went into, they went into Sarah's tent and, and they took. If you would, um, I want you to look at verse 26. After his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's hill, heel, so his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was 66 years old. You see that? Huh? 60, sorry, 60. Okay? When she gave birth to them. All right, so what you're looking at is being confronted with about 20 years of barrenness. Okay, now remember, you've got to remember this text because it said that when Isaac saw Rebekah, he loved her. You know what that means, right? He had a love for Rebekah and he was overwhelmed with Rebekah. All right, and yet for 20 years, there's no children. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds familiar. But again, um, look at verse 21, back up. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Okay. Do you see what I'm trying to get at here? It's easy for you and I to say, oh, you know, he, this cutie pie comes down on the camel. We go into the tent and whoo All right? In 20 years. Okay? But you can see that even here, Isaac was confronted with the same thing his father was. I don't have no heirs. I don't have any children. All right? And you're not telling me for 20 years they just sat and looked at each other. It says he loved her. And that, and that phrasing there in the, in the Hebrew means just what it says. He loved her. She was number one. Everything revolved in her sphere. Okay? And at 40 years old, he took her, and for 20 years, nothing happened. All right? So you see a pattern here. All right, she conceived sometime nine months before um, Isaac turned 60, <laughs> however you want to cut it. And, but it says that the children, this is the twins, struggled together within her. And she said, if it is so, why then am I this way? So the Lord, so she went to inquire to Yahweh. All right. There was a struggle. Okay, now, what are the implications here? It says the children struggled together. Do you know what that means? I remember a couple of times uh, we used to have a water bed. And uh, when my wife was pregnant with Josh, uh, there were times that Josh would take off on his little track meets and the whole stinking water bed shook. And you just got this vibration thing going on and I'm sitting there going what the heck is going on here and Paige would smile at me you feel that are we going to die is this an earthquake in Colorado what is that she says well that's the baby 
Or doesn't the baby know that I'm trying to sleep or something? Uh, But I think about twins and there was a struggle that began. Okay, where did it begin? In the womb. Do you ever, have you ever thought about that text in light of Romans 9? God chose Jacob over Esau before either were born, before either had done anything wrong so the purpose of God would stand. You ever thought about that? They were struggling early. (laughs) We call that early. Okay? And it evidently was um, intense because normal movement of a child in the womb of a woman does not force her to go pray to God. All right, so when I think that you have twins and they are struggling, um, you know, <laughs> they're having a knockdown drag out and mom's saying, God, stop it. <laughs> and, uh, right? I mean, I'm not adding into this text. I'm sitting here thinking, you got children moving in the womb of a woman enough to make her go pray you got some serious womb moving going on. <laughs> right? I mean, you got two children who are, children, stop that. <laughs> That's all I can. Go to your, oh, you can't go to, <laughs> go to your rooms. <laughs> you can't do that. Don't make me come down there. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, so anyway, she inquires of the Lord. Verse 23, Yahweh said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples shall be separated from your body. (coughs) Fascinating phrasing right here. You've got to get, please get a hold of this. Two nations are in your womb. Wait a minute. I thought we were of the line of Abraham. No, the promise was many peoples, many nations. All right. So he says, but you will have two peoples separated from your body. Now now that he's getting a little more specific. It's easy to say you'll have two nations, but now you're having to say two people. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Now this flies in the face of everything. Absolutely everything. What you see here is is a competition between siblings. And it is one of those what I call guaranteed. And you can see it start in the foundation in verse 22. Then in 23, God says, not only is it going to be a competition. Now, now you got to get a, I want you to think about this because it's one thing to have, have your kids pick at each other. Right? But he's saying you're going to have two nations. And what are they going to do? They're going to pick at each other. Okay, guess what? Still are today. Still are today. A lot of people, uh, this is the Edomites, and I'll show you this in a minute and what it means. But if you go to Israel, if you look, if if you go down, uh, Jerusalem sits on a a very high plateau. It's about 4,000, a little over 4,000 feet, I think, above sea level. And then you go down, uh, into the next big city would be Jericho, and then you drop down into what is called the Jordan Rift. 
in, in the Jordan goes down and it's coming out of the Sea of Galilee and it's falling into the Dead Sea. Okay, uh, that is, well, the Dead Sea is the lowest place. It's, what is it, 5,000 feet below sea level, I think. Okay, if you go to Jericho, that there is about 4,000 feet below sea level. So I like that when Jesus said, we're going to go up to Jerusalem. <laughs> he meant it. <laughs> they were going to go up. All right. But if you look across the Jordan, you'll see this. It almost looks like a red desert. Okay. Uh, and it goes up uh, all along the, uh, the Jordan River and you'll see it. And that's fascinating because the land is called Edom. Okay. Um, Biblically, today it's called Jordan. Okay, uh, you you know the country Jordan, um, and so um, you see that it's a very rugged place. It's very uh, deserty, uh, a lot of clay, uh, a lot of this red. It's not the, like the red rock stone that you see here. Okay, but it is a lot. There is sandstone, limestone, but it's very rugged place. And that, these are the people of Esau. But what you'll find is, is that they moved north, uh, and they came back in on the east coast, or the west coast. I'm sorry, of Israel. Okay, and I believe that this are the descendants of the Palestinians. Okay. And, and I'll deal with that in the months and years to come. But it sure does seem like it. Why? Who do they struggle with? And if you go to Israel, it is fascinating. You know why? They, you've heard the green wall? And they call it the green line. They have the green line. If you go to Israel, you'll see these huge green walls that separate Ginnah uh, and the Gaza. Okay, well, you will know them as uh, the West Bank and Gaza. Okay, and they have holes in the wall where there are checkpoints and guard towers and Israeli soldiers. And, and, and the people of the Palestinians want to come in and work for the Israelis. Because Israelis do have a, a, a fairly good economy. Well, it's a lot better than the Palestinians. And they are mad because Israel says, no, because you knuckleheads are coming in with bombs and stuff like that, blowing up Israelis, and we don't want you to come in, or they screen them and do all this. They get work permits and all the rest of it. And it's fascinating because they want to work for the line of Jacob, but they hate the line of Jacob. Okay, you literally, if you go to Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, you can see where the Jews live and where the Palestinians live and the Arabs live. The Jews and the Pal- and the Arabs have relatively nice apartments. The Palestinians live in dumps. I mean, literally, that's the only way I can describe it. Uh, I have been in the slums of Chicago and New York and seen some awful stuff there. They are mansions compared to what you see the Palestinians living in. Why? Uh, Detroit's on fire. Um, Oh, no, they haven't won a championship. Anyway, um, but the Palestinians serve the Jews. And what is bizarre is they serve at the pleasure of, of the Jews, and 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 they do some stupid stuff. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, they built uh, three or four huge casinos in Jericho. Okay, I'm talking Las Vegas type casinos. 
Okay, and then soon as they were getting ready to open these buggers up, um, Yasser Arafat called for the intifada. Okay, and they decided they were going to protest everything. And these casinos have never been used, ever. Tours won't go there. They throw rocks at the buses, and you know, yeah, let's go gamble. Okay, but it was a marketing ploy that the Palestinians said we can go, and it's almost like dumb and dumber. You know, let's let's cut off our nose to spite our face. We're mad at the Jews, so we'll just make it so. And and so, but you have that, and you see this on a consistent mindset that says the younger shall serve, or the older will serve the younger. And I see it all over the place. When I was there, and just a short time that I was there, that's what I saw. But it started that the struggle began even before. Uh, Rebecca wanted to know what was going on. Right? When her days to deliver were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in their tombs. To womb, sorry, in the tomb. <laughs> twins in the tombs. Okay? <laughs> There's two of them in there. Okay? So she thought these gymnastics was maybe one redneck child, and the truth of the matter was, wasn't. Fourth came the, the first came forth red all over hairy um, like a hairy garment, and his name was Esau. Okay? Afterward his brother came forth, and his hand was holding on to Esau's heel, so the name his name was Jacob, and Isaac was sixty-six years old. So even at that point in time, you see the competition between the two. So at, at what is going on here in verse twenty-four is this. It is almost it's two thousand and five. BC. Okay, that just didn't happen. All right, and that is the timeline that you can look at. All right, afterward his brother came forth and he was holding on to the heel. What does that mean? I ain't letting go. And you'll see this all the way through it. Okay, you see it till this day. There's a competition between the two. And it's fascinating to me. I mean, even if you take it on the big picture and you take the Arabs um, and, and you take the, the Israelis uh, and the Palestinians, you know what's amazing about this is that they're all related. I, I found it fascinating, fa- fascinating, and we'll look at it in a minute, um, that uh, Abimelech is who? What nationality? Philistine. And they just are happy and tickled to death to be with Isaac and Abraham and all the rest of it. How does that work out with David? They're at war all the time. Okay, until the Philistines are destroyed. All right, verse 25, he was hairy like a garment and he was red all over. That's what Edom means. It, it, it is a play on words. It is red. He also remember. Well, let's let's just look at it. Well, boys grew up. Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. See the difference? There was conflict there. Uh, Esau was this headstrong, uh, my own man, rugged, uh, a hunter. He preferred the outdoors, and and it gets him in trouble. Okay, Jacob was. He liked hanging out at house, watching television. Okay? He liked the indoors. He didn't like it outside. And then there was a third thing that you're going to see. And what was that? Parental favoritism. Parental favoritism. All right? 
this, please pay attention to this because this has conflict all over it. It started all the way back in verse 22 and it concluded at the coming of Jesus Christ. Okay, but not only in that conflict, we also have tremendous heartache. Tremendous heartache. All right, the word Edom. All right, now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. There it is. Uh, don't do it or you'll start two nations at war. No, just kidding. Okay, when <clears throat> Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and he was hungry. And Esau said to Jacob, please, let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, red stew looking stuff, for I'm famished. Therefore, his name has called Edom. Okay, it literally means red. Okay, now remember, he was red and hairy. And he wanted some red stew. And Jacob said, first sell me your birthright. Okay, verse 31. Okay, Um, please understand that the birthright involved a double portion. All right. Uh, You'll see this in times to come in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 17. You can make a little note there in Exodus chapter 4, verse 2. I mean, even the right of the family uh, for the chief priest from the chief priest has to do with the birthright. Okay. Esau said, behold, I'm about to die. So what use then is a birthright? All right. Jacob said, first swear to me. So he swore to him, sold his birthright to Jacob. Now listen, I have heard all kinds of reasons why he did this. Please, this is a narrative text, okay? And it doesn't say, well, was he that hungry that he... Let me tell you why he did it. Verse 34, Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate it and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. That's why. Okay? He despised his birthright. Why? It doesn't tell us. Listen, when you get into narrative text, we can go off on all kinds of places. You can't do it. The text doesn't tell me. Why did he despise his birthright? I don't know. But I can tell you this, in the womb, they struggled. When they came out of the womb, their personalities were different. One was a little more, we would call it one's a daddy's boy, one's a mama's boy. Okay, that's, that's what we would hang on it today. Truth of the matter is, the parents are at fault. The parents are at fault. And both of them, I believe, uh, are doing it based on their flesh, Rebecca and Isaac. Uh, Isaac. It says Isaac liked game. I do too. Um, but uh, you don't pay, play the favoritism. So that is what happened. All right? Sold his birthright. Now listen, he's not done with this. All right? Esau has made a vow. But listen, if he doesn't care about his birthright, what good are vows? So you're going to see... Um, deception throughout these two two men's lives all right 
But think about what their father did and how their father learned it. Which brings me to chapter 26. There's a famine in the land. Sounds familiar. Verse 1. Besides the... previous famine famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar to who? Abimelech, king of the Philistines. This is not the same Abimelech. All right. Most people believe now it's hard to get with the Philistines because they've been obliterated. They're a non-existent entity. They are not Palestinians. Okay, they are Philistines, Phoenicians. They were sailors and they inv- literally invaded the promised land and hung out on the coast. Please understand that. They are not Palestinians. They do no longer, longer exist. And so we have very, we have bits and pieces of archaeology that show us who the Philistines is. Most people believe that the phrase Abimelech is similar to the phrase Pharaoh and or Caesar. Okay, it is a title. Okay, would it have been a line in the line of the Abimelech of Abraham? Probably. I mean, unless there would have been some kind of a, a, a uprising or a changing of the kings by overthrow or revolt or something like that. But this is not the same Abimelech. And <clears throat> so he goes to Abimelech, king of who? The Philistines. And Yahweh appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. <laughs> Remember the Hagar problem? Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. Okay. Remember what happened when Abraham went down there. He came back with a cute little handmaiden that his wife thought, here, let me help you, Jesus, or help me help you, Lord, Yahweh. All right. So he stays. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and bless you For to you and your descendants, I will give all of these lands and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father, Abraham. All right. So God is intervening because he's watching this famine. Understand that God causes the famine, but God is also what's he trying to do with Isaac? Show him that he is faithful. You can trust me, Isaac. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. I will give your descendants all of these all these lands. And by your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and, and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. So Isaac lived in Gerar. Okay. Verse 7. When the men of this place asked about his wife. Okay. Now, do you understand what just happened? God tells Isaac, the same promises I gave your daddy, I'm giving you. Okay. Did it work for your daddy? Then it will work for you. When the men of this place asked about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Well, does that sound funny? The seed doesn't fall very far from the tree. That's what I started this message with. The kids are going to act like Papa. They're going to act like Papa. All right, now watch what happens. She's my sister. For she was a, he was afraid to say my wife, thinking the men of the place might kill me on account of Rebecca, for she is a looker. Actually, the literal translation is beautiful. Okay? 
And, you know, we all take that vow till death do we part. And the guy says, I want that woman to kill him. No worries. All right. Sounds like dad, doesn't it? And it came about when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out through the window and he saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. Now, I like the King James translation of this. It's kind of cute um, for me, my sense of humor. It is sporting. And I'm thinking that that's not soccer. Okay. All right. And it is more than petting her on the head. Okay. It is more than rubbing her shoulders. All right. What is it? It says, well, verse 9, it will explain it to you. Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, certainly she's your wife. Okay, so whatever it was, was enough for him to say, that's his wife. You don't do that to your sister. And it's more than just being sweet. Okay. Abimelech called, behold, how then did you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, because I said I might die on account of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. Listen, that is so similar to Genesis chapter 20 verse 9 that it's spooky. Okay, the first Abimelech with Abraham said the same thing. You are going to bring a curse upon us. We are. Remember, Abimelech had a dream. Okay, and you know the pepperonis. And God said, "You know what, Abraham? You trying to get me killed or what?" Here, that's important. All right. Um, here's why I say it's so important. Abraham is called the father of faith, correct? Okay, but we've already looked at it. He didn't really have that great of faith starting out, did he? I mean, he took that first step and left everything, but he took everything with him. Okay? Um, We've got to be really careful here because you see obedience and you see deceit. They're both present. That's amazing. You ever thought about that? Obedience and deceit? I'm obeying God, but I am doing it deceptively. Really? Does that work for you? Anyway, here's what it says. So Abimelech charged all the people saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Okay, now remember, you've got Isaac here kind of wandering around, hanging out in this country until the famine is dealt with and he's been there a while and everybody's kind of sizing up his sister. All right, nothing has happened because it says here, what if a man had lain with her? But do you see what his doubt in God had the potential of causing? I mean, I just look at father. I mean, Isaac... Look at what your dad has done. Isaac sowed in. Now Isaac sowed in that land and he reaped in the same year a hundredfold 
and Yahweh blessed him, and the man became rich. Okay, the man here is Isaac. Okay, he became rich, and he continued to grow richer until he was very wealthy, for he had possessions of flocks and herds and great household. So the Philistines envied him. Okay, now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. Do you understand why? He is multiplying too fast. How do I stop him from multiplying? Cut off the water. Cut off the water. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. And Isaac departed from there, camped in the valley of Gerar, and settled there. Then Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. Do you see what they did? He had made a promise to Abraham. Who did? The first Abimelech that we've seen. He had made a promise. We're going to deal this. We're going to work together. After Abraham died, what does man's promise do? Nothing. What does God's promise do? Never fails. All right? Here's what he says. And he gave them the same names that his father had given them. And when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found that there was water, a flowing, um, a well of flowing water, and the herdsmen of the great uh, of Gerar quarreled, and the herdsmen of Isaac said, The water is ours. So the well became Isk because they contended with him. When the well, <clears throat> then they dug another well, and they quarreled over it too, and he gave it a name. See, see what's going on? Um, and, and if you go through this, uh, the first name is a dispute over it, it means contentious. The second name means enmity. All right. He moved away from there. He dug another well and they did not quarrel over it. So he named it Rehoboth. Okay. What does that mean? Well, that's easy. Plenty of room. I got out of everybody's way. I got out of everybody's way. Okay. But you're going to see this go on and on. What did God promise him? I'm going to take care of you. Then he went up there to Beersheba and the Lord Yahweh appeared to him and at that same night and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear for I am with you. I will bless you. Multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant, Abraham. So he built an altar there. Great idea. And he called upon the name of Yahweh. He pitched his tents there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. Listen, I know this area. You need a well. And you, I have, you talk about a God-forsaken land. If I'd have strolled into it now, strolling into it now is definitely different than when uh, Abraham and Isaac were walking through it. But this is a nasty place. If somebody's offering to give it to me, it's like that stretch of highway you see before you get into Rock Springs on I-80. They could give you 10,000 acres and you'd have what? 10,000 acres of nothing. Rabbits as big as dogs that sit there and try to pick fights with cars. And you would have a stretch of the most closed highway in North America. I mean, you just look at it. Well, if you're really into sage, all right, that looks lush to this area. You've got to have wells. You've got to have wells. 
He built an altar there, uh, and called it on the, on the name of Yahweh. He pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar, and with his advisor, their names are there, and the commander of his army. See what you got? All right, he's coming up. What's wrong with Isaac? He's a little nervous. He's a little nervous. Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? Why? Remember the two wells? One is enmity and one is contention. And they just keep pushing him out and pushing him out and pushing him out. Why? They're envying him. It goes on today. Um, Verse 28. We see plainly that Yahweh has been with you. So we said, Let's now... Let there now be an oath between us, even between you and us, and let us make covenant together. Now stop right there. Didn't we just do this with Abraham? Okay. Here's another thing that's kind of amazing to me. Here I've got this pagan who is witnessing this individual who Yahweh is blessing. And yet the individual who Yahweh is blessing is not acknowledging it. Don't you see the same thing today? That you will do us no harm just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good. Now think about what he just said there. You just keep running me out and running me out and running me out, but we're good to you. Okay? And have sent you away in peace. Okay? You now are blessed of Yahweh. Then 30 through 35. Uh, well, let's read it because they, he made them feast and they ate and they drank. And in the morning they arose, they exchanged the oath uh, and they departed in peace. Now, I find this fascinating because the Philistines are at peace with who? The Jews. Father of the Jews. This is fascinating because this is a message that is quoted. What you see right here is quoted in the first message after Pentecost. In Acts chapter 3, verse 25, this whole whole very issue here where God says, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear for I am with you. I'll bless you. Multiply your descendants and make uh, for the sake of my servant Abraham. Peter uses the same lines in the temple. The same lines. Why? Who do you trust? Abimelech? A peace treaty. A covenant? Or do you trust Yahweh? Verse 33. um, Shabbat means seven. And seven for the Jews is a complete number. So that is where you'll get oath from. Okay. Um, That's why he names it. There is an oath. And therefore the name of the city is Beersheba. To this day. Okay. Now watch what happens. When Esau was 40 years old. He married Judith. The daughter of Biri. What? The Hittite. Is that a problem? All the way back to Noah. That's a problem. And Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. What did he just do? Married two women. Both of them Hittites. 
Both of them cursed of Noah. Both of them. Listen, you go marry two women. What do you think God's saying? Are you an idiot? Okay. God didn't tell us to marry multiples. What does Esau do? Remember, he despised his birthright. What's his birthright? A covenant people to God. You are not your own. You are bought and paid for with a price. Look what it says next. And they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. <laughs> One of the greatest statesmen in all of Holy Scripture. Okay? You see Jacob and Esau. You see Isaac and Abimelech. And you see Pete and repeat were sitting on the feet fence and Pete fell off. Who was left? Repeat. Pete and repeat were sitting on a fence and Pete fell off. Who was left? Repeat. Why? Is God faithful? Absolutely. Absolutely. Even when men cheat you, God is still faithful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for showing these amazing things to us. Father, let us see that as a father, um, we have a spiritual responsibility that is really overwhelming. And let us know, Father, that what we do as men has an impact and a ramification that can literally send shockwaves through hundreds of thousands of years, evidently. Hundreds or thousands of years. Father, help us to draw upon this. Help us to understand that you are faithful as you were with Father Abraham and his heirs. We being grafted in, you are also faithful with. Give us the desires of our heart, Lord. Uh, Father, let us do it your way, not ours. And uh, Father, let us understand your promises. Father, let us understand that in your promises is life contentment. And we praise you. Thank you. In Christ's name. Amen.